been a beautiful day today. I so appreciate you coming back tonight and being part of the service. And I ask you to take your Bibles, if you have one, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 23. Matthew 23. This really began the last couple of weeks a series on a desire that I've had, and that is, how can I love God more? <laughs> it sounds profound in one of those questions like, well, duh, you just love Him more. <laughs> But how? How do you love him more? And what does the Bible say about loving him more? And so I did just a, uh, a, a, a study and found out the, that God is concerned that we love him more. He wants us to love him more. In Matthew 22, I'll read a few verses beginning in verse number 34. It says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. It grew a crowd. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. <clears throat> How can I love him more? Well, I knew from the beginning, at some point, we would have to discuss obedience. And I figured I might as well get that one over with. Just get that all done, and just take care of that one, and get out of the way, because that's one of those ones we struggle with. <laughs> How can I love him more? Well, we're going to learn this evening that one of the ways I can love him more is by obeying him. And so let's pray and ask God to meet with us tonight. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love and for this place that we can meet together. We can be encouraged both by corporately singing your praises, by the sweet smiles and handshakes of your people greeting each other, by the preaching and teaching of your word. Holy Spirit of God, meet with us tonight and lead us and give to us what we need, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I've told you this story before, but when my youngest daughter was very young, lived in a small uh, two-bedroom brick bungalow, and uh, we thought it was a haven. It, well, heaven. It was a heaven to us. We loved it. And uh, at the time, we just had uh, okay, three, oh, three girls at the time. And, uh, and so the youngest one was, I'm guessing, five-ish. And I told her to go in and make her bed clean up her room, make her bed. I was sitting in the living room, reading my paper. I heard a lot of activity in there, but it didn't sound like productive activity. You know the kind of different sound between productive activity of cleaning and the activity of, I'm just going to play in here. And so I hollered back and said, I hope you're cleaning that room. Yes, sir, Daddy, I love you, she said. <laughs> I said, I love you too, and I get busy. And a little bit later, I finished an article. I just was listening. I said, it doesn't sound like much is being done. How are you doing back there cleaning the room? Here's what she said. I love you, Daddy. I love you, too. How's the room? I went on for a time or two more. And I finally got up and walked back, and I saw her on the floor. The room did not look any cleaner than it did before. In fact, now there were more dolls on the floor, and she was sitting in the middle of the dolls playing with the dolls. 
she jumped up. She ran over to me, and she put her arms really wide like this, and she wrapped her arms around me, and she said these words, I love you, Daddy. Well, we had a little session following that, and it was a demonstration of my love for her, though at the moment I don't think she believed it because she was not demonstrating to her dad that she truly loved him because she was completely ignoring what he said. I said, go make your bed. Instead of obeying, she said, I want to do what I want to do, and I'm going to give lip service and say, I love you. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done that before the Lord. I'm sure that has never been your testimony. But because I've struggled with that, I thought I would preach a message on it tonight. Jesus here effectively condensed the law marvelously, geniusly into love. My love for Christ is to be perfected or matured, made complete through obedience. And we learn that his love, my love for him is a command, and that's what we were told. It's a command. It's, it's a commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. All of it. Not, not, not reserving a portion for yourself or for your hobbies or for whatever. All of your heart. The Pharisees believed that all the commandments were equal importance. I found this interesting. They were supportive of every commandment. As far as they were concerned, everyone was equal in importance. They had a compilation of the law consisting of 613 commandments. There were 248 positive commandments and 365 negative commands, thou shalt not. They held that each of the commandments were equally bearing equal weight. To declare one commandment above the rest would be extremely audacious in their estimation. So Jesus cut through all that political red tape and gave the essence of the entire law in these two commandments. He, he declared that love fulfilled the law. And his death on the cross was a powerful demonstration of that truth. I love you and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to show you that by dying for all of your transgressions against the law, I'm going to show you that I am paying for your sin, and that payment for sin is a fulfillment of all the law that you've broken. It fulfills it completely. He says in John 14, 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. In Romans 6, 17, it says, But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Paul was so impressed with these Romans, so impressed, because their obedience was not just compliance. And some of you parents know the difference. It's one thing to tell your child, do this, whether it's make your bed, take out the garbage, whatever it is, and they do it, but they do it with this attitude. It's one thing to get it done with a compliance. But it's a completely different thing to be done out of love for the one giving you commandment. Ye have obeyed from the heart. God's method of application is that from the heart. God is most glorified when our obedience comes from the heart. 
We obey Him. Why? Because we love Him. We obey because we love. You say, well, I obey because I'm afraid not to. Well, that's okay too, but a greater reason to obey is love. Wouldn't you say that all Jesus has done for you is death on the cross, breaking the bonds of sin and death and resurrection, daily, ever living to make intercession for you, being, for, being there for you whenever you need him, supplying your needs, leaving a comforter to wrap his arms around you? Don't you think Jesus has done enough for us to love him? Remember Jacob and Esau? It's amazing how many, how many truths we can find in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 26, 34, and Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, which I find funny because I, I talk to 18-year-olds that are having a, a, a pressure in their life because they've not found their mate yet. Well, he was 40 years old when he found his mate. It was, uh, he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Bashemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. But notice Esau's wives, in verse 35, were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. <clears throat> the wives that he chose were a grief of mind to his parents. So Esau caused his father great anguish by his decision. Jacob, on the other hand, in Genesis 27, 30, and hopefully you remember the story, it says, It came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting, and he also made savory meat and brought it into his father and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of the son's venison, that my soul may bless me, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and, ye, and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. Of course, Jacob, the supplanter, the one that deceived him. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. Notice the effect on Jacob's father. On his father, Isaac trembled very exceedingly. Great anguish when he realized what Jacob's son had done. So Jacob also caused his father great anguish. I'm glad the story did not conclude there, though. I'm glad we learned more of the story for Genesis 28, verse 6. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Notice these words. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padanaram, and Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. Of course, Esau had made his father anguished when he took these heathen wives. 
Later on, Isaac sent for Jacob to get a wife. And Jacob obeyed his mother and his father. And Esau heard what was going on, and in response, he went to marry one of Ishmael's daughters. As a knee-jerk reaction, perhaps thinking that if he were to marry one of Abraham's relations, that would win his father's approval once again. Little did he know that he was acting just as bad. And that decision would not bring favor from his father. Jacob obeyed his parents later on, but Esau's disobedience just continued to cause problems. In chapter 35, verse 27, And Jacob came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died was gathered unto his people, and being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So, Isaac now gets old. In his latter days, Jacob shows up. Jacob shows up, I think, to comfort his father. We're told that Jacob shows up. We're not told that Esau shows up, not until after his dad dies. Isn't that interesting? Is it possible that as the years progress, that Jacob's obedience... Early anguish, but he had a heart change. His obedience built a relationship between him and his father to where on his deathbed it was Jacob there comforting him. Not Esau, but Jacob was comforting him. Jacob comforted Isaac in his last days, but Esau waited until he died. We learn in the Bible here that my love for Christ can increase as I serve those that he loves. Let me illustrate. In John 21, 15, <clears throat> Peter had denied the Lord three times. Following the resurrection of Christ, Jesus asked Peter. In John 21, 15, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. And I'm sure that you know, in this story, the English word love here comes from two different Greek words. Initially, the Lord said, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a Christ-like, giving, sacrificial love? And Peter said, Lord, do you know I phileo you? I, I'm really fond of you. Lord, you know, you know that I'm, I'm so fond of you. Perhaps there was just a, a touch of guilt there, shame, where he realized he could not Say that I love you the way that you're asking me. But, but Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know I phileo you. You know that I'm fond of you. And then all three times after his response, Jesus gave him an assignment. Peter, do you even phileo me? Lord, thou knowest that I phileo you. 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love me, so I'm going to give you an assignment. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus assigned him to love and invest in his people and to develop a greater love in return for him. Peter, feed my sheep. After many years serving the people, Christ called him, called his sheep. Peter developed a deep love for both his sheep and the Lord himself. I find it amazing the words that Peter, now as an old man, wrote in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 and 8. Peter writes, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. He's writing the sheep. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Peter was sharing his heart with the sheep. He loved them and was encouraging them. The more we allow Christ's love to flow through us to others, the more we will love them and love him. My love for Christ, I learn in 1 John chapter 2, is perfected by continuing to obey. In 1 John 2, beginning of verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So verse 5, but whoso keepeth his word, literally means who keeps on keeping his word, the present tense. Whoever keeps on or keeps it up just keeps keeping his word. In him verily is the love of God perfected. I want the love of God. I want to love God more. How can I do it? Well, here it tells me, I, by keeping on, keeping on his word, his love in me becomes perfected. When we were going to Bible school, we, we, were, we, were, very, we were very poor, didn't have a whole lot of money. Now, God provided, He got us through, but, but we, we became very creative in, in food because sometimes we'd go to the cupboard and there was very, very little in the cupboard. And I, I remember many times I would, I would come up with these, these uh, crazy concoctions, and I was told that you could basically throw anything in the crock pot, and as long as you cook it long enough, it, it, it'll come out good. I found out. It doesn't matter how long you cook, cook it, adding radishes to certain things don't work. And, and so, so I'm just telling you right now, if you walk away with nothing else tonight, learn that do not add radishes to what you put in a crock pot. It just it did not work. <laughs> when, we, uh, when Christ gave us an opportunity to love him and to grow closer to him, he says, here's how I want you to do it. I want you to keep on keeping my word regardless of what it means, regardless of what it says. You're not going to always understand it. There's going to be times where it's confusing to you. There's going to be portions of my word that, quite frankly, you're not mature enough to get yet. 
but I want you to continue obeying me. Sometimes I'm going to tell you to do some things you don't understand. Sometimes I'm going to tell you to do some things you don't like to do. Sometimes things aren't going to make sense to you, but I want you to get in the habit of simply obeying because I'm the one telling you to do it. Keep on keeping his word. In John 14, 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, same, same word, continues to keep them. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Here's an example of keeping on. The book of James, chapter 5, verse 10. Take, my brother, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You say, what? <laughs> we count them happy which endure. He says, you've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So what God does as an example of keeping on, keeping on, is give us the example of Job. <laughs> and he uses a word that shouldn't be tied to Job. <laughs> it's happy. It's happy. Why? Because, because of the end of the Lord, he says. The end. What do you mean? Well, what the Lord can see that you don't. The end. Remember the end of Job's life? Where God blessed Job abundantly at the end? Yes, he went through some amazing trials, difficulties. But the end left Job a very happy man, a blessed man. And that's what we're saying here. Because of his patience, he endured. In Job 23, verse 8, Behold, I go forward, it says, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, but I cannot see him, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Did you catch what Job just said? I can't find God. I'm going through this trial, and I can't find God. I look over here, and I can't find him. I look over here, and I can't find him. I look up, and it's like the sky is black. I can't find him. I can't perceive him. I can't feel him. I can't feel his presence. But I know that he knows the way that I take. God knows what's going on right now, and I shall come forth as gold. I know that I've got a God in heaven who's watching over me. I know that and can trust him. Though Job could not perceive God's presence, he was confident in God's involvement in his life. After all the emotional abuse, remember Job's three friends? Quote, unquote. <laughs> Those three friends that showed up to be an encouragement to Job and basically decided to take what little life he had left and steal it from him. <laughs> In Job 42, 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job had. Over and over again, these friends kept saying, Job, you are a mess. Your problems are because of your sin. You're hiding something. There's something in your life. God would not have done this to you if you weren't guilty. Over and over, lengthy speeches. God shows up. God gets angry at the three friends. 
Therefore, God says, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went, and did according as the Lord commanded them, as the Lord also accepted Job. But notice this last verse. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. God says to these three men, basically, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make life so miserable. You want to be dead, then you're going to be dead. I want to destroy you unless Job prays for you. You realize that Job's got a chance here to get back at him? All those mean, horrible, wicked things they said about Job, now all he has to do is, sorry guys, sorry, see you later. You're on your own. God, let him have it. Right? But notice Job's response. He prayed. For his friends. And as he did, his captivity was set free. Job had a perfected love. All those trials, those horrible, horrible trials he went through, what did they do? They matured his love. They perfected his love. They burnt out all that phoniness in him. Job demonstrated here a father-forgive-them kind of love. Lastly, we see some rewards for loving God enough to obey. I want to love God more. I don't know how many years God's going to give me. I keep thinking the Lord's going to call us all home any day now. I still think that. But let's just say, let's just say the Lord does not call us home in our lifetime. I want to finish whatever days the Lord has left for me. I want to finish loving Him more and more and more and more. Now, it just so happens the Bible offers some rewards for loving Him. Abraham loved God enough to obey Him. And God multiplied Abraham's seed and gave him the land. And to Abraham's son Isaac, God said, Genesis 26, 4, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The New Testament accounts this in Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. God rewarded the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with multiplied seed in a vast land because of their faithful obedience. We see, first of all, he shall be loved of the Father, and Jesus will manifest himself to him in John 14, 21. Let me read it for you. He that hath my commandments 
and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So do you want to know if you love God or not? Very simple test. So you take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Here's the test. Have you obeyed him? It's a yes or no. No. You don't love me. Yes. You love me. And he that he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. But notice the rest of the verse. And will manifest myself to him. How can some people describe a relationship with the Lord that is so real? Have you talked to people and it seems like God is just real to them? Just, just real, like, like another person. The way they describe their relationship with him is just, just so real. How can that be? How can they have that kind of a real communication with and relationship with, with God that they cannot see? They make it sound as if they can actually perceive his presence. I'd say that'd be a fair assessment. No, you don't feel that he's there, but by faith you acknowledge that he is there, and the result is somewhat of a perception that he is there. I don't... Feel, I don't get goosebumps. I don't feel like the wind is blowing past my neck. But before I pray, I take time to acknowledge his presence. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, I want to fellowship with you. And so I have to get this this dense noggin of mine, thinking correctly with the understanding that I know he's there. Why don't I just choose to trust that he's here? And then as I trust that he's here, I begin communicating with him. Oh, do I hear audibly from him? No. No, but the more of a relationship I share with him, the more of his presence I'm affected by. The more the word of God comes alive to me. Jesus will manifest himself to him. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and I will manifest myself to him. And then, he shall abide in Christ's love, and Christ's joy will remain in him in fullness. In John 15, 10 and following, if ye keep my commandments, he said. We're going back to, how do I love God more? By obeying, by keeping his commandments. If ye do that, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Did I not want my daughter when she was young to be full of joy? Did I want her to be unhappy and crying all the time? Did I want her every time she came around me to say, Oh, Daddy, I'm so unhappy around you. Did I want that? Of course not. So why did I make life so hard on her by making her make her bad? Oh, I wanted to share with her this joy of a relationship. That I can tell you we honestly share today. 
a joy of a relationship. That my joy might be full in you, Jesus said. How do you have that, that fullness of God's joy? How do you get to where you're excited? Not by ignoring his commandments, not by sneaking away, not by pretending like they don't affect you, but by submitting to those commandments. Christ's love and joy will move in or abide in you, move in and get settled. Ye shall abide in my love, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. <clears throat> I know two sisters that growing up together responded to their parents very differently. The younger was very submissive and enjoyed pleasing her parents. But the older one seemed to challenge her parents at every turn. When she was told to do something she didn't want to do, she'd whine and complain until she finally believed the threats or was finally punished. When she was disciplined, she refused to talk to her parents, trying to get her younger sister to join her in her silence strike. But her younger sister was never able to hold out because she loved their approval too much. When their dad died, the younger sister had no regrets. But the older one was haunted with regrets. The same thing happened when their mother died several years later. Today, the older sister has found finally some peace from those bad memories as she's developed some dementia. The younger sister, I think, is a radiant joy to be around as I married her about 45 years ago. Do you want to love God more? Decide you're going to completely obey Him. For God so loved the world, He gave for you and for me. How can I love Him more? I can choose to obey Him. So what is God telling you to do today? Let's obey. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your incredible patience. Thank you for waiting for us. I do thank you for your death and burial and resurrection. I thank you for your gift of salvation. But I also thank you that you want to manifest yourself to us. And you want your joy in us to be full. Lord, you're not vindictive up there, and you're not crossing your arms, always angry with us. Lord, you love us, but you know what's best for us, and you know what's going to bring joy in our lives. So would you please help us to get out of these stiff-necked mentalities and help us to submit ourselves to you. And Lord, as you speak to us, help us to say yes, Lord, yes. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Has the Spirit of God spoken to your heart this evening? Is there an area that you know, quite frankly, that you've been disobedient? His joy cannot be full in a disobedient child. 
Would you be willing this evening to confess that to him? And by grace, choose to submit and obey? Gracious Lord, I thank you for this sweet time, and I thank you, Lord, for your love for us, and I pray that you might continue the work you've begun in us, shaping us, conforming us, and may we be reflecting your image, I pray. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.